Tonight's reading is Psalm 22, verses 1 through 5. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry, day, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you. They trusted and you rescued them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. Welcome. My name is Jason, staff pastor here at Grace Downtown, and we are so glad that you are here with us tonight. We are spending a couple of weeks uh, focused on the Psalms, and really we've had a devotional that's been going through the Psalms, and we're going to talk about Psalms at Easter as well, but we are preparing our hearts for Easter and the fact of the resurrection that we just sang about. But in order to prepare our hearts for that, we want to talk about the reality of our brokenness and of our estate when we are apart from God. We believe that we can really understand best the hope of the resurrection when we first understand why Jesus had to die. Last week, we talked about how we can stop suffering in silence, how we need to speak up and talk about the things that we're going through and the the struggles that we are having. And we really desire to be that as a church. Uh, We want to be a church where it is okay to not be okay, uh, that we talk about the struggles that we are having with sin and suffering. Uh, We want to talk about the realities of what we go through and While we may know certain truths, sometimes it is hard to believe those or feel according to those truths. So last week we talked about not suffering in silence. On Easter, we're going to be talking about how Jesus is our rock of refuge and how the resurrection shows that there is power over death and over suffering. And tonight we are talking about how we can look to the suffering servant. Tonight we're talking about what happens when you know all the right answers, you know the theology, you read the words on the screen or on the page, but you're just not feeling it. Tonight we're talking about the times when you think things through and you know the things that are true, but it seems the more you read about the way God is and the more you read about the way things should be, it actually seems like God is getting further and further away. Tonight we're talking about the reality that even if we have experienced the faithfulness of God, there are times where his face is hard to see. And it's hard to believe that his promises are true, even if they've been true for us in the past. Today we find the psalmist in Psalm 22 that Olivia just read for us. We find the psalmist can relate to that place of suffering, that place of doubt. But more importantly, Jesus can relate to us when we're in those moments. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that you would speak tonight. God, the suffering that we endure in this world is too great uh, for me to heal with my words. God, um, for those that are going through acute suffering, for those that are going through times of trial, there's nothing that I can say to change their circumstances. There's nothing I can even really say to make them feel better. Um, God, what we really ask for tonight is that we would see you clearly. That we would know the truth. 
God, that we would be set free by the son that we just sang about. We would know the power of your resurrection, Jesus. God, I pray most of all that everyone would leave here tonight knowing that you see, that you know, that you hear, and that you care. God, we pray that that would be crystal clear tonight. I pray that my words would not just be my words, but Spirit, you would speak through me, speak through your word as we open it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Please open with me to Psalm 22 if you have not already. Psalm 22. We're going to take a look at a few verses here and talk about what the psalmist is going through, but also how we can relate. Psalm 22, verses 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I do not rest. This is a psalm of David. David has known God's faithfulness since the beginning of his life. Even as a child, he saw God provide for him in powerful, even superhuman ways as he killed lions and bears with his bare hands and slayed a giant with a stone. He had seen and known the faithfulness of God. But he is in a place where he knows all those things happened in the past, but right now, right here, he feels forsaken by God. He feels like he is crying out to God by day and by night, but God is not answering, and he is finding no rest in God. You know those moments where you feel like you're praying and saying all the right things, but the words are just bouncing off the ceiling and coming right back to you? You know those times when you can't get to sleep because you just can't work your way through all the circumstances of your life? The psalmist is having a time where he knows God is faithful, but he is struggling to worship God. For us, this is, looks like times when we feel forgotten by God. When have you felt forgotten by God? Maybe it was time when others were worshiping and raising their hands and maybe even crying tears of joy of thanksgiving and you feel like you just can't. Maybe we sing the song with the line, make my heart believe, and it's your desperate prayer that God would make your heart believe in him once again. This is times when you know you should be able to rejoice, like we talked about in Philippians, but you just can't because the suffering is too great, the circumstances are too hard, and there doesn't seem to be any answers, even from God himself. These are times when the future you thought you had in front of you falls apart in one day. It's times when you know what is true cognitively, but you don't feel like those things are true. Or it's times when you just feel numb and you get to a place where you don't desire God, his word, or his people. When have you felt forgotten by God? continue on in Psalm 22, verses 3 through 5. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you are fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put 
to shame. The psalmist here recalls that in the past, God has been faithful to others. That he has been faithful to his people. How has God been faithful to his people? So many ways God has been faithful to his people. He blessed Abraham in order to be a blessing to the nations. He saved Noah and his family and saw Noah's faithfulness in a faithless generation. He delivered his people, Egypt, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm from their oppressors. He relented and he had mercy on the people of God just because Moses asked him to. He provided everything that a young man and a young woman named Mary and Joseph needed when they were given this gift that often seemed like a burden of seeing the Savior come from the womb of Mary. He relented and had mercy on his people. He filled his church with his spirit and his spirit sent them out to spread the good news to the known world. And that's why we sit here today. We see the faithfulness of God throughout scripture. We see the faithfulness of God throughout generations. The gospel has continued to advance in this world against all odds. Yet, this is why it hurts so bad when you cannot see, feel, and believe his presence and his faithfulness. You know all these things are true. You know the stories by heart. You know he has been faithful to his people. You even see him be faithful to others around you. But right here, right now, the circumstances are so hard. The emotions are so difficult and it hurts so bad. We cannot see, feel, or hear from him. Back to Psalm 22, moving down to verse 9. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. In the past, David is recalling, you've even been faithful to me, not just the people of God, but you've been faithful to me, God. And he recounts, even from the time I was a baby, you have been faithful to me. How has he been faithful to you? Well, if you are in Christ, he has saved you from yourself. He has saved you from the penalty of sin. He has saved you from being worse than you could be if left to your own devices. He has provided for you. He has set the exact times and places where you should live so that you would reach out and find him. He has saved you from yourself. You are better than you used to be. And you are right here, right now, hearing the good news of the gospel. But even that faithfulness to you as an individual may not change how you feel right here, right now. As the psalmist reflects on these truths of God's faithfulness to his people and God's faithfulness to him as an individual, he is left wondering, God, what gives? What gives? I've seen you be faithful. Why aren't you faithful right now? Why don't I see your face? Why don't I feel your presence? Why don't I feel better? Why are all these circumstances going the wrong way? Is the whole world stacked against me? This leads to the psalmist feeling a very vivid reality. And we see it in verses 6 
12 and 13. Look with me at Psalm 22. But I am a worm and not a man. I am a worm and not a man scorned by mankind and despised by the people. So he sees himself as a worm in verse 6. I'm a worm. I'm despised. The scum of the earth. I'm something that people step on and just keep on going. I live underneath the earth. Darkness is my reality. And how does he see other people? Verses 12 and 13. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a raving and roaring lion. He sees himself as a worm and everyone else is a bull and a lion. Everyone else has strength and I don't. Everyone else stomps on the earth and I live below the earth. Everyone else is powerful and I don't even have legs to stand on. That's how David feels in this moment. He feels crushed. He feels like he can't breathe. He feels exhausted, disillusioned, confused, and he lacks faith. He says, I know God is faithful and I know God can provide, but I don't know if he's going to do it this time. It changes the way he feels about himself. It changes the way he feels about others. It marks everything in his life. His whole perspective is marred by the circumstances that he is going through right here, right now. Have you been there? Are you there right now? And I know some of you are. I've been there, and I know some of you are there right now. So what do we do when we feel this way, when we feel like a worm of a person and everyone else has it together and we can't see God's face clearly? Some of the things we try that just lead things to getting worse and worse. The first thing we do is we try and lean into the things that have worked in the past. David has seen the faithfulness of God. He has worshiped God. He has written songs to God. He can lean into that. We often lean into the things that have worked in the past. Well, Bible reading has worked in the past. Prayer has worked in the past. Fellowship has worked in the past. Listening to a sermon, getting outside, getting on my hands and knees, singing worship songs, talking to a friend. We try all the things we've tried in the past. But often... It doesn't change the circumstances or how we feel, and it doesn't necessarily change our faith when we are in this place. So the first thing we try to do is lean into everything that has worked, and then when they don't work, we try and change everything. Then we change everything. Then we throw out norms. We throw out things that have worked in the past. We throw out fellowship. We throw out the Bible. We throw out spiritual disciplines, and we go off on our own. Neither of these work. The next thing that we try is that we turn internal. We turn internal and we shut everyone else out because everyone else is a bull and a lion and they might crush us. They may hurt us. And so we're going to close them out and be okay with me, myself, and I and shut everyone else out. And not a healthy, restful time of processing. I'm talking about a time of of hiding. A time of hiding. There is a time and a place for rest and processing and self-care. But friends, that's not what I'm talking about. 
Talking about when we feel like that worm and everyone else is a bull or a lion and we just start hiding. Often, even when we say we need a day off or a personal day or a day of self-care, what we need is Netflix binge. That's a distraction. It does nothing for us. In fact, I'm reading a book by a neurotheologian, which is a great thing to aspire to be. He got his master's degree in theology and his PhD in neuroscience, and he studies the effects of religion on the brain. And he says something very compelling that I think that I think there's some good biblical evidence for. We receive most joy by looking at the faces that people we love. When we walk into a room and someone's face lights up and smiles just because we walked in, nothing can give us more joy than that. And we have substituted that for faces on a screen. And we go deeper and deeper into it when we are struggling. If we don't turn internally, then we can run to things of pleasure and hedonism. We keep ourselves busy with the pleasures of this world. We numb the pain. We run to instant gratification, instant control over substances and pleasures. And we live a life of hedonism. These do not work. These lead us to a place where we lose faith in ourselves. We lose faith in God. We lose faith in both. These lead to frantic activity followed by numbness or to despair and isolation. So what do we do? What do we do in these moments where praying doesn't just make it all go away? What do we do when nothing fixes the circumstances? What do we do when our mind tells us what's true but our heart is struggling to believe it and our emotions are definitely not coming along for the ride? The answer is we look to the suffering servant. The one who suffered on our behalf. Some things that we read in this passage in Psalm 22 may look familiar to you. And we're going to take a look at why. Psalm 22 verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew 27, 46, at about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama shabathani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see Jesus quote these words on the cross. We see Jesus not just quote these words on the cross, but feel this feeling on the cross forsaken, smitten by God. Here in this moment, he is feeling forsaken by his heavenly father, the hand of protection for the first time ever removed from the sun. And he is feeling it with all of his body, with all of his mind, with all of his emotions. He is feeling forsaken by God. Let's take a look at Psalm 22. Verses 16 through 18, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They've pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and they gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. 
Matthew 27, verse 35, and when they had crucified him, meaning Jesus, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Next section is from Psalm 22, verse 24. Daniel, can you go back one slide? I don't have a slide for this next one, actually. We read in verses 6 through 8 of Psalm 22, Scorned by mankind and despised by the people, all who see me mock me, and they make mouths against me, and they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let God deliver him. Let him rescue him. If God delights in him, he will save him. Those are the words from Psalm 22. Listen to these words from Matthew 27. And those who passed by the cross derided him. They wagged their heads at him. And they said, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He can't even save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from that cross if we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. If God desires him, he will save him. For he claimed, I am the son of God. We see some pretty incredible things in these parallel passages. Two things that I want to point out about this reality that we read these exact words come to fulfillment in the New Testament. The first one is that Jesus can empathize with our suffering. Jesus can empathize with our suffering because he suffered like you and me. He suffered to the point of giving up his very life. He suffered to the point of saying, God, why have you forsaken me? He, empathized, he empathizes with us, and we can know that is true because he empathized with David. He is empathizing with the experience of a real guy named David. He is quoting these words. One thing we have to remember is that Jesus read the Old Testament. It's the, the Bible that Jesus read is the Old Testament. He read from the Psalms, quoted from Isaiah. When he was teaching in the temple, we see so many cross-references to the Old Testament. Jesus had read this and knew this, but more importantly, he was empathizing. He was connecting with David's humanity And he connects with ours as well through his suffering. Three takeaways from this that we can hold on to when there is literally nothing else to hold on to. Number one, because of what Christ endured, he can identify with our suffering. Look with me at Psalm 22, 24. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him. But he has heard when we cry to him, for he was the one despised and afflicted. He hears, he's there for us. We know this because he suffered to the point of death. He was despised. He was abhorred. He was afflicted. He was spat on and beaten, and a crown of thorns was mockingly put on his head. Because of what Christ endured, he can identify with our suffering. And when we are suffering and we 
pray to God and we feel like those prayers are just hitting the ceiling or even just bouncing off of our own ears, our own skull, in those moments, we can remember what Christ endured for us. Let's remember his posture towards us. Remember from the end of our Philippians series, what we read in Numbers chapter 6, in the benediction that God gave his people in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God sees, he hears, he knows, and he cares. That's what we struggle to believe when we are struggling the most. Even when we believe that he sees and hears, we fail to remember that he also cares. Don't you think the heavenly father cared for the son as he died on the cross, as he yelled out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Through that awful, terrible, worst thing that's ever happened in human history, our victory and our salvation was accomplished. That same God sees, hears, knows, and cares about your suffering. We're going to jump into this more. It's going to be the focus of our sermon uh, next week for Easter. But in John eleven thirty five, we read that Jesus wept. He wept because his friend Lazarus had died. And Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, were also Jesus' friends, and they were suffering. And Jesus wept with them. He was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, but first he empathized with them. He wept with them. This Jesus, fully man, fully God, suffered, and he also empathized and wept with those who are suffering. Because of this, Hebrews 4 has a great truth for us tonight. Would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4? Verses 14 through 16. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You know what we need in our time of need? Someone who can empathize with our pain, but someone who also can do something about it. And Jesus did something about our pain. Because for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Jesus sympathized with our weakness, but he also went to the cross to die for our sins. Jesus sympathizes with our weakness. He empathizes with us, yet he accomplishes what we cannot in our suffering. In our suffering, we feel like a worm of a man, and we feel like everyone else is a bull and a lion. Jesus... In his suffering, 
succeeds in a way that we never could. His suffering produces our righteousness. His suffering produces our salvation. We find in him everything that we need right here, right now. Even if the circumstances don't change, even if the emotions do not match what our cognitive abilities are telling us, we have a great high priest. And it says he passed through the heavens. This is deliberate language by the author of Hebrews because the high priest would pass through a curtain and he would pass through the temple and the entire temple and the curtain and the whole thing was set up to look like, first off, Eden, when everything was perfect, when Adam and Eve were in God's perfect garden in perfect relationship with one another and with God. And it's also to look like the new heavens and the new earth at the end of all things. The temple is set up to look like these two pictures of perfect reality. And the the priest would pass through and serve in all of those. And then one day a year on the day of atonement would pass through the curtain to be in the presence of God. Here, the author of Hebrews is using very deliberate language to say, Jesus didn't pass through a temple Jesus didn't pass through a replica of the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus did not pass through a curtain. Jesus passed through heaven itself. He's a high priest that doesn't just get us to heaven. He is a high priest that came from heaven to show us how to be made right with God. We have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, who sympathizes with our weakness. Number two, because he rose from the dead, we can have hope. We can have hope. We can unabashedly say, no matter how we feel, that mourning and suffering may last for a night, but joy can come in the morning. And I can't tell you that that's going to be tomorrow morning, but I can tell you there's going to be a morning where there is no more sin, there is no more suffering. When he wipes away every tear that falls from our eyes, that day will come and we know because Jesus rose from the grave. He sympathizes with our weakness. He goes to the cross and dies in our place. And three days later, he rises again to show us that we have a hope and a future. Even if right here, right now, these circumstances are so bad that it leads you to your very death, joy comes in the morning. When Jesus comes back for his bride and he sets up the new heavens and the new earth. This spring, I will do two funerals. One of a man that I have only met one time, but whose family is full of brokenness, estrangement, and only in this man's death is the family finally coming back together. And I'm going to preach his funeral. There's another gravesite service that I'm going to be doing this spring. And it's for a 32-year-old woman, and it was the third wedding I ever officiated. She died from breast cancer this January, leaving a three-year-old and a five-year-old behind. And the family is going to gather together one more time to sprinkle her ashes over her family land in West Branch. 
what in the world do you say to people in these circumstances? What do you cheer them up with? What prayer do you pray? What benediction do you read? What scripture do you quote? What sermon do you preach? What hugs can you give that's going to take that pain away? There's nothing. It's only the hope of the resurrection. And our suffering servant, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and he scorned its shame and he's coming back. And even death is not the end of the story. That's the only good news that I have to share with them. And sometimes that's the only good news that we have to hold on to. Lastly, because we can suffer with a purpose and know that God has a plan, we have a message. Look with me at Psalm 22, verses 26, 30, and 31. Psalm 22, verse 26. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. That is the good news message that we have to proclaim. Do you ever go to share the good news with someone or disciple someone or counsel someone or pray with someone or greet someone at church or work with the kids at church or greet your kids in the morning and you feel like a worm of a person and you just can't see God's face clearly? David's in that moment, yet he says, I'm going to tell of the Lord and his faithfulness to the coming generation. So that generation will come and proclaim his righteousness to people that are yet unborn. And the message that I'm going to proclaim is God has done it. We've got nothing to brag about. That's what suffering does. It reminds us we've got nothing to brag about. And the only good news we have is Jesus. We're going to be talking about this series called Bless after Easter, where we're going to be talking about how to tangibly bless our community, our families, our coworkers, our neighborhoods, uh, people that we go to school with. We're going to be talking about how to tangibly bless those around us. Let's be sure that we know that our message is a good news of great joy for all people because of what Christ has done. The message is not come to Jesus and he'll make everything great for you. Sometimes our message is, look, I'm a worm of a man, but God has done a great thing for me. God is faithful, even though I don't feel it right now. I'm going to proclaim that he is faithful. We have a message of good news to share, even when our circumstances don't make us feel like God is faithful. Tonight, we're going to end our service by taking communion. Remembering what the Lord has done. By the physical breaking of bread, by the fruit of the vine, remembering tangibly what he has done for us. And when we take communion, I quote from Paul's account of the Last Supper in Corinthians. I love that passage and I love Paul's commentary on that whole thing because he reminds us that it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed by one of his very best friends, one of his disciples, that he broke bread with them and he offered them life and hope and his very body.
want to encourage you to take joy in what your suffering servant has done for you tonight. Do you feel worthy to take communion? I don't think I ever feel worthy to take communion. No matter what you have done, no matter how you feel, God offers you his grace and his mercy and his very life broken for you tonight. At Grace, we practice open communion, which means you don't have to be a member here. You just have to be a follower of Christ. You have to just freely admit that I can't save myself. My sin is too great. I need a Savior. If that's your story tonight, I want to welcome you to the Lord's table. Thank you, Jesus, for your body broken for us and your blood spilled on our behalf. As we remember what you have done, we pray that it would not just be right here, right now, but that we would live a life of remembering what you have done, a life that proclaims and believes and shares the good news of what you have done. Amen. When we struggle, one of the things that we say in our time of struggle is, God, if I could just see you, if I could just see you, then faith would be so much easier. Look at the bread. Look at the jagged edges. Remember what he has done for you. See and taste his love for you tonight. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and gave thanks and he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup of the fruit of the vine. And he said, this is my blood, the new covenant, my blood spilled for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, thank you that you have given us this tangible remembrance of what you have done, your body broken, your blood spilled. Thank you, Jesus, that your blood has been poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. God, I pray for your comfort, your healing, your presence. God, I pray that you would be our prince of peace, especially for those that are struggling acutely right now, that are in a season of suffering right now. I pray that you would be their prince of peace, their God of all comfort, and heal what is broken. Remind us of your presence. God, thank you. Jesus, thank you that we have a great high priest who sympathizes with our weakness. In Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. We end each service on our feet as our declaration to God that we are ready to serve him with our hands and with our feet, not just with our words or with our singing or our intentions, but we really want to obey and serve him. And we want our lives to be a a response to the love which he has had for us. So let's pray to that end. God, I pray that as we go out here, we would have your good news on our lips. God, I pray that even as we are suffering or even as we go through difficult times, we would proclaim your faithfulness to the next generation. We would demonstrate and declare the good news of the gospel as we go. Jesus, I pray, especially for those that are suffering right here, right now, that are struggling to see your face. God, I pray that they would remember what Jesus has done and I pray that they would remember that Jesus sympathizes with weakness. He felt forsaken by God. Jesus, thank you for suffering on our behalf. God, thank you that you go with us. You go before us, 
behind us and in us through your Holy Spirit. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in grace, and we will see you soon.